We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder but it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you it's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be emmy nominated tv producers each episode of slaycation also includes humor takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last if you're ready to pack your body bags slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Scary Mysteries, brought to you by Nudon Films. Every Monday, we'll tell you about topics that range from serial killers and UFOs to unexplained mysteries, ghosts, and everything in between. If it's scary and it's mysterious then we've got you covered. And check us out on YouTube as well if you want to watch each episode. Thanks for tuning in. Top 4 Most Terrifying and Creepy Family Massacres Family massacres always manage to capture headlines because they're so extraordinarily heinous. Entire families are terrorized, killed, and even tortured for days on end. And while they're not common, they do happen. These are the top four most terrifying and creepy family massacres. Number four, Setagaya Family Massacre. 44-year-old Mikio Miyazawa was an employee for a London-based advertising agency called Interbrand while his wife, 41-year-old Yasuko, was a school teacher. Together they had two children, 8-year-old Nina and a 6-year-old son named Lei. On the morning of December 31, 2000, all four family members were found murdered inside their own home in Tokyo's Setagaya Ward. Mother, father, and daughter were found stabbed to death in both the upper and lower floors of the house, and little Lei had been strangled on his bed. 
Police theorized the killer managed to enter the home using a small bathroom window on the second floor at around 11.30 p.m. First to be killed was likely Mikio. His body was discovered near the staircase on the first floor, and he was most likely on his way up the stairs to determine what the unusual sounds were. The mother and daughter were violently killed next, and then the son. Once all the family members were dead, the killer inexplicably hung around the house for approximately 10 hours before leaving. While inside, he took some time to nurse an injury he suffered, likely from a scuffle with either Mikio or Yasuko. He also used the computer, ate some ice cream, and took money in a sweatshirt and left behind fingerprints and bloodstains all around the house. At some point inside, it seems he went around cleaning up bits and pieces of receipts and other papers including ice cream wrappers and sanitary napkins he used to stop the bleeding and then dumped them in the bathtub. Police discovered the killer also left several pieces of clothing in the home. This included a hat, gloves, shirt, two black handkerchiefs that were ironed, a scarf, knife, and a fanny pack which had skateboarders grip tape inside and sand found to be from California. The blood type of the killer was type A, and piecing together all the evidence they were able to determine it's likely the killer was not Japanese, but of East Asian origin, most likely Korean. His mother also shows European ancestry. Countless speculations as to the identity of the killer have been given, including the fact that he could have been a military person who visited the area, or even an expat skateboarder because of the clothing left behind and the fact that Mikio was seen arguing with one earlier in the night. Despite the overwhelming evidence, and almost 200,000 police officers involved in the case since it started, investigators are still no closer to solving who really massacred the Miyazawas that night. Number 3. The Bennett Home Invasion In Aurora, Colorado on January 16, 1984, between the hours of 12 and 6 a.m., an unknown individual entered the Bennett home. 27-year-old Bruce Bennett was awake and signs of a fierce scuffle were found all over the house. Bruce suffered multiple lacerations that eventually took their toll, and allowed the intruder to overpower him at which point he finished him off with several blows to the head with a hammer. The killer then went on to attack his wife and two girls. Deborah, who was 26, was raped before being fatally bludgeoned, and after that he moved on to attack their daughter, 7-year-old Melissa, who was also sexually assaulted before being beaten to death. Unsatisfied with his kills, he savagely shattered three-year-old Vanessa's jaw, sending bits and pieces of bone into her windpipe, but luckily, she managed to survive. Bruce's mother, Constance, found their bodies the next day, and police were called where a full investigation began. Once DNA evidence was collected, investigators discovered that the same killer, one week prior to the massacre, killed and sexually assaulted 50-year-old Patricia Smith. She was killed with several blows to the head from a hammer. Her body had been staged to look like she was sleeping in a casket, with her hands folded over her chest. Police kept tracing various similar crimes in the area and found out that six days before Patricia's murder, another couple in the area was also attacked. James and Kimberly Hobbins' child were both violently beaten with a hammer 
and suffered severe head trauma, but both survived. That same day, a man also attacked a flight attendant named Barbara Dixon with a hammer while she was cleaning out her garage. She was put in a medically induced coma and managed to survive the ordeal as well. The identity of the assailant is still unknown to this day, but based on the DNA links, John Doe has been charged with 18 counts involving sexual assault, first-degree murder, and assault including burglary, among others. There are so many questions still left unanswered in the case. Police believe the killings were random, and that it's possible his motive was to kill or rob someone and merely picked victims out of convenience. More recently, the cops used new DNA technology on the evidence and released a possible composite of the suspect. However, no solid leads have been found yet. Despite this, they're still hopeful that newer DNA technology and other forensic advancements could eventually crack the case and bring this killer to justice. Number 2. The Goodhart Murders The Robinsons just wanted to get away from town and relax at their vacation home on Lake Michigan. A well-off family, they told friends they'd be spending some time at their cabin near Goodhart, Michigan. So when they were gone for nearly a month, no one thought anything was amiss. That is, until their bodies were discovered decomposing in July of 1968. Carpenter Chauncey Bliss approached the small home he had made for the Robinsons, expecting to find a dead raccoon inside. A nearby neighbor had called him, complaining about a god-awful smell emanating from the home. There was no answer at the door, so he opened it, and inside, right by the doorway, is where he found Mrs. Robinson sprawled out with her clothes in disarray. He could see other decomposing bodies behind her lying in pools of dried blood, at which point he ran out and called police. When investigators came, they found all of the Robinson family members dead. 42-year-old Richard Robinson was a wealthy entrepreneur who ran several businesses, including an art magazine called Impresario. His better half, Shirley, was a housewife, and together they had three sons and one daughter. The eldest, Richie, was 19 and studying at East Michigan University. Gary was 16, Randy 12, and Sandy was just 7 years old. Both Richard and Sandy were found bludgeoned as well as being shot. The rest of the family members received a single gunshot wound to the head, killed execution style. Police determined the time of death to be around June 25th. Initially, the Robinsons seemed like an upstanding family who were well-liked by peers. But upon further investigation, Richard's businesses weren't doing so well, which led police to take a look into his business associates. Before leaving for the lake, Richard left his company in the care of Joseph Scalaro. As it turns out, Joseph was embezzling money and by then had taken around 60 grand. Police suspect that during a phone conversation hours before the murder, Richard confronted Scalaro about his thievery. This may have caused him to panic, at which point he drove up to Goodhart and killed the family before Richard could alert authorities. Despite strong suspicions, they only had circumstantial evidence pointing to Joseph. This included matching the markings on the bullet casings to casings found at a shooting range which he used frequently. His alibis didn't add up, and he also failed several polygraphs. However, no murder weapon could be found, and so he was never formally charged for the crime. 
It wasn't until 1973 when prosecutor Brooks Patterson was finally ready to charge him, but when Joseph found out, he committed suicide. In his suicide note addressed to his mother, he stated, I had nothing to do with the Robinsons. I'm a liar, but not a murderer. I'm sick and scared. God and everyone, please forgive me. Number 1. The Cheshire Murders On the afternoon of July 22, 2007 in suburban Connecticut, Jennifer Hawk Pettit, together with her daughter Michaela, who was 11, dropped by the grocery store to pick up ingredients for a pre-birthday meal Michaela wanted to give to her 17-year-old sister Haley. What they didn't know, however, was that they were followed home by two killers. Stephen Hayes, together with Joshua Komisarjewski, waited for the cover of darkness before entering the home of the Pettits. When they went inside, they found William asleep on the couch and they hit him over the head with a baseball bat, bound him, then locked him in the basement. The children, as well as their mother, were also bound and gagged inside the respective bedrooms, at which point the two suspects ransacked the house looking for cash but couldn't find much. They changed their plan and in the morning forced Jennifer to withdraw $15,000 from her credit line. On July 23rd, Jennifer went into the local bank and informed the teller of the situation and said that if she didn't get back home, her family would be killed. A call to 911 was issued, and even though the circumstances were urgent, the police waited more than a half hour before even taking action, and as a result, the moment Jennifer returned home, she was raped along with 11-year-old Michaela. William, despite his injuries, managed to escape from the basement and asked his neighbors for help. As soon as the suspects realized that William was missing, they panicked. Hayes strangled Jennifer to death and doused her body with gasoline. He then went around the house pouring gas everywhere and dousing both the girls who were tied up in their bedrooms with pillowcases over their heads. The property was set ablaze which caused the two girls to die from smoke inhalation. Both suspects tried to leave the scene using the Pettit's family car, and it was only then when the cops, just one block away from the home, intercepted them. William was the sole survivor of the ordeal. The two were found guilty and charged with the death penalty for their crimes, but that was later changed to a life sentence after the death penalty was abolished in the state in August 2015. So there were the top four most terrifying and creepy family massacres. Crime and murder are heinous acts, but slaughtering an entire household for money, revenge, or whatever reason is extremely brutal. Add to the fact that most of these crimes have gone unpunished, and it makes our faith in humanity hard to defend. Thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe and check out Scary Mysteries on YouTube as well for additional videos. I'll see you next week.